You're listening to Overtired on ESN with Insomniacs, Christina Warren, and Brett Terpstra. Hey, Brett, how are you doing? I am overall good, but a little bit sad about the death of Tua. Yeah, me too. So before we kind of get into anything else about catching up what's been going on the last couple of weeks, we have to mention and we have to talk about the death of the place that brought Brett and I together to begin with and that definitely started my career in, in journalism and, and helped kickstart a lot of what Brett is doing today too, um, the unofficial Apple weblog, better known as uh, TUA or um, TUAW. Yeah. We need to take a moment of silence for, uh, for TUA. That was a moment, right? That yeah, was a moment. Yeah, because, like, I don't know. I, it was when David Chartier started blogging about Mood Blast, which I scripted in Apple Script originally uh, based on comments on the unofficial Apple weblog. It was when he noticed that that th- my entire life kind of started. Everything I do now comes from that moment. And, and for me, uh, that's really interesting. So Mood Blast was a program you wrote that basically would – um, add like what you were listening to to your various social networks, right? Well, it would it would it would broadcast any status you wanted, but it would update Facebook and Twitter and stuff that doesn't exist anymore, like Jaiku and Plurk. And uh, it, by the end, it, it it updated twelve different services with one keystroke, so you could totally repeat yourself everywhere. And we've talked about this like not that long ago. Like you were a relatively late Mac convert. Yeah. Actually, that was that was the first thing I ever really scripted on a Mac, and it was to see what a Mac could do. That's so cool. I For did me, use I had like HyperCard back in school, but of I course, didn't, yeah, we all had HyperCard. <laughs> Noble for me, I um, I got a Mac. Got I'd, I'd use Macs at school, but I got my first Mac in August of two thousand seven. And like maybe like and I'd been reading, you know, the Apple blogs for a long time. And I happened to notice, I remember it was like the middle of August 2007 that Tua was looking for new writers, new bloggers. And so I sent them an application like and said, okay, here you go. Here are a couple of sample articles and some other things. And, you know, I figured, hey, maybe I can write from the perspective of being a relatively new full-time switcher or, you know, do some tips and some other things. And my my samples were really good. Like I did things like how to run a VPN on your Mac so that you could uh, do BitTorrent with Comcast because at the time Comcast was thro- was throttling BitTorrent connections. And A, there weren't a ton of good BitTorrent apps at the time for the Mac. I think Transmission had just come out. And uh, B, you know, some of the VPN instructions were a little bit confusing. So I did an entire tutorial on that. And I did some sort of op-ed on something. And, and I wrote something. I wrote a review of some app or something. And I didn't hear back for like a month and a half. And I was like, did I, did I not write well enough? I was like, am I not as good of a writer as I think I am? And then they got back to me and they said, no, we want you to write for Tua, but we also want you to write for Download Squad. And uh, with that, I mean, it started my tech blogging professional kind of career, you know, getting paid for it. It's how I met my husband. Um, and it's led into basically every job I've had since then. Tua as stepping stone. Well, and there was a heyday in both of our early days when Tua was packed with how-to articles and like more than just press releases. And I feel like it it over time it waned and waxed. And there were points like these kind of bare spots where it really 
and no offense to any of the writers because there were some solid writers all the way through it. Absolutely. But it, it kind of became this, here's what's new that we received press releases for this week. And that was when I kind of, I don't know, it was after I had left that I felt like that happened. And I don't attribute me leaving to any of that. Like people like TJ Luoma. Yeah. Always wrote like it was completely original. You wouldn't find this kind of how to anywhere else because he was insane. Like with the stuff he could make his Mac do and scripting and everything. And that was to me, that was the heart of why I personally would read Tua. And that kind of, well, and the thing is, I don't think they ever could have grown their uh, readership any further than they did within the confines of AOL. No, and I agree with that. And the thing is, is I mean, I don't want to, to to hate on AOL too much because the entire time we worked there, they were owned by AOL. I mean, granted, they were hands off. It was more of a weblogs thing. It was before, at least when I left, and you were there a few years after I was. But when I left, um, AOL hadn't even. Sp- Spun off from Time Warner yet, so um, you know things were definitely hands off to an extent. But yeah, I feel like there's nothing more they could have done under the confines of what they were, which was always started as kind of a blog. First was part of Weblog Zinc, and then it became kind of part of the AOL Tech Banner, and then some other stuff. And um, I mean, it's, it's a, I'm with you. Like I, I used to be one of those places where you would go and you'd find really great tips and really great how tos on how to do stuff, and kind of the the nerdier aspects of things. And unfortunately, what I think has happened with the Apple community and just with the tech community in general is that as tech news and Apple news has become mainstream, the thirst for that sort of stuff dissipates to a certain extent, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like like people go to your blog or they go to, you know, other types of individuals who maintain that stuff to get that information. They go to GitHub rather than wanting to go to a news source. Because if a news source, now at this point, everybody's wanting to know about Apple stuff, and you end up maybe alienating potentially a bunch of people who don't care about, you know, a lot of great workflow tips. They did maintain a good voice, though. They always had writers that... Each one had an individual voice, and it was one of the few blogs in my early days of blog reading where I actually paid attention to bylines, partly because I knew the people... But partly because you'd start to read and you'd be like, oh, I know whose voice this is. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, when I got hired, I was basically kind of, I was kind of, Chartier had just left and I was basically his replacement on both Tua and Download Squad. And he was like my blog nemesis for a while, actually. I always <laughs> uh, mentally kind of think about that because we were writing, we wrote similar things and, um, you know, I, I came after him. And, uh, no, it was always one of those things where you could tell you knew an Erica story, you knew a Scott McNulty story, you knew a Mike Rose story, you knew a Brett story. Uh, I think you knew a Christina story. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were there were uh, you knew a Victor story. Like there were there was enough Steve Sandy, Nick Fletcher. I mean, there were so many. Oh my God, there were so many amazing writers, and still, you know, even continuing now. I mean, I haven't read Tua as much in the last few years, but it's always been. It's, it'll always be my home, and it's really sad to see it go away. I understand the, the financial realities and, you know, whatever those things are, I can't really speculate on or whatnot, but I know that it, it's hard to keep stuff running. But it's uh, it was a huge part of my life, and, I mean, it was a huge part in both of our, our career trajectories. You know, it was like this huge thing. And um, I've been trying to work on kind of a, um, a thing for Mashable about it that I'm hoping to get up. Um, we're recording this on a Sunday, and I'm hoping to get it up today. 
as um, within the next couple of hours because I really want to capture what I'm trying to say, I guess, in this conversation, I want to capture in words. Um, but also because I think for the Mac community, it, it was a it was a unique place, you know, it wasn't just rumors. It wasn't just tips. It wasn't just news. It was kind of a little bit of everything. And then, like you said, the individual writers had their voices and personalities. You know, and we had the talk cast. That's how I learned a podcast. Right. And it predated a lot of what's big now for Apple News. Yes. Not all of it. I think the Mac Observer was around well before too, uh, but I can't remember. Um but I mean, things like Mac Stories, which are my go-to place now. Yes. You know, they they uh, they were made possible, I think, by sites like Tua, that and Federico Vitici's an unending drive. Um, but I think ultimately, The Verge is competing with The Verge is very difficult because they have they have a lot of backing, they have a lot of creativity, yep. and they have all the experience they gained at Engadget. Yes. Uh, which, you know, is probably less relevant now than it was in the beginning. But I think that AOL feels like they need every dime to pump into Engadget and possibly TechCrunch to really compete with the kind of uh, behemoth that The Verge has become in the tech world. Yeah. And I mean, and frankly, I think that probably makes sense. You know, I mean, it's like it always was weird working at TUAW to also have Engadget be part of the family too, because they would get invited to the events and we wouldn't, you know, <laughs> we, we were the leper colony. We were the leper colony because Apple was, was in the name. So Apple didn't like us, you know, so we weren't yeah. part of, we didn't get, we didn't get the stuff to review. We had to buy our own things. You know, we weren't salaried at least while I was there. Um, you know, we were, we were like the, the, the stepchildren that, um, AOL and weblogs kind of didn't pay any attention to, um, but the but the fans loved us, and we loved what we did. But yeah, it was always a really weird thing where you had this at the time, especially you know Engadget, this behemoth uh, that was covering all this stuff, and then you had kind of the the scrappier folks like us who were covering things but really doing things, and we would see them sometimes you know steal our stories like full on and like wouldn't even give us a link. And I remember I would I would I would email I would I would send angry emails to Josh or to Ryan or to Neilai, being like, "What the hell, are you guys?" You know, and get our link back or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh man, early early blog memories. Um, <laughs> it was uh, while it was Merlin Man that that by following his example, I learned not to argue online and not to take part in flame wars. But it was too odd that taught me never to read comment sections. Yes. Yes. <laughs> People there were uh. there. People who bothered to comment, by and large, were horrible people. And that's not to say the readership was horrible. They were excellent. But it was those random... Some of them were truly terrible. I remember there was this person who harassed me and hated me. I mean, just hated me, this person. And would just say really nasty, terrible things about me and all my comments and all my posts. And at one point, the person totally crossed the line and made some sort of comment about my boobs being fake or something. I mean, just something really ridiculous. I remember this. Mike Rose flipped out. He flipped out. And then this person, so this person gets banned from commenting. But by getting banned from commenting on Tua, the person got banned from all of Weblogs, which meant that this person couldn't comment on Joystick. So this person sends me, this person they've been harassing for months, an email and basically is like, can you get my account (laughs) re-enabled? And you know what? I did. I was like, screw it. You know what? You have a big heart. Well, I was out the door at that point. Like, I think I had just given my two weeks because Mashable gave me an offer. And I was like, go for it. Here you go. <laughs> and I'm going to show all the way through that I'm a better person than you are. But yeah, no, my was flipped out as as he should. I mean, so the thing, I mean, it was just awful. But um, my very first post for TUAW, I, I mentioned 
that I was a, a recent full-time Mac switch, even though I've been using Mac since like 95. And the first comment was like, well, you're going to have to prove yourself that you're nerdy enough or that you're good enough or whatever. And I was like, all right, I'm in the fray, you know? And, yeah. and that was, uh, but, and I have to say though, as a writer, getting a thick skin from comments and from just the, being part of the Apple community when it was really starting to like go, like when the iPhone was clearly becoming a success and like the, the fortunes of the company were changing tremendously very quickly. Being part of that has helped me so much in my profession now. Oh, it's because a vital I, skill. Because I have such a thick skin for stuff. Like, I mean, you know, people say stuff to me, and I'm just like, I laugh. I'm like, you don't even know, you guys. You know, I was I was around during the dark ages, you know, of internet journalism. And uh, and it's funny, you know, but I also, I learned to write quickly. I learned to, to, you know, contact sources. Mike Rose, who I always credit as being my mentor, really helped me learn to write for the web. I learned far more from him than I did in any of my college journalism classes. Um, you know, learned to cover so many things and and really um, understand how stuff works. There are contacts and press people and, and PR people and, and software developers and friends, frankly. I mean, you and I, were having this conversation right now. We met through TUAW. Right. And so here's a PSA. If you are a startup or you are a, a vendor of software and you would like someone to write content for you who has great experience with editing and writing and knowledge of the industry... There are suddenly multiple available options out on the market. Yep. So contact us. I can put you in direct contact with very talented people. Um, I was going to say, I, I've seen some of the fake Twitter accounts that pop up simply to harass you. Yes. It's, I am, I mean, like, I followed Gamergate. Like, I know what kind of things people will say to women on the internet. But those accounts, like, I... God, I can't imagine. And you're and probably just blocking them and and not thinking about it, but No, but I mean the thing is, is I mean and I know that I get it easy, you know, compared to I do a podcast now called Rocket with my friend Brianna and the stuff she gets is insane. Like I can't even it's not even like I feel bad even like comparing anything that I get on like any of the same level. I mean, some of the stuff I get is is horrendous, don't get me wrong, but it pales in comparison to the it worst does. that people get. Well, the, so, the personal threats that would cause someone to fear for their life, that's exactly that's insane. I've never had that and and I'm I'm fortunate and I also also feel fortunate that I live in a city where maybe I'm naive, but my philosophy is kind of bring it on. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're like, naive. <laughs> I am, but 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 I'm in New York. Bring it on. You know what yeah. I mean? Like just all right, great. Um you know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'm sure a big part of it is naivete, but I'm just kind of like, all right, man. Like if I was in the suburbs or I was in a place that didn't have 17 million other people, it might be a little different. Um, and it maybe it shouldn't be different now, but I just feel like just the, the number of people makes like it just, I feel safer. <laughs> See, I live in a very, very remote section of a very remote town, and I have stopped tagging. Uh, geotagging photos for the most part because if anyone ever threatened me you can find me online and you could kill me in my sleep i'm not suggesting this to anyone i'm not i shouldn't put it out there but it i would i would be scared shitless if someone made a threat like that to me totally totally no i feel like it's just when i'm in like such a densely populated area a lot of it is naivete and then part of it is just like 
yeah, good luck, you know, good luck finding <laughs> me. Um, but no, when I lived in Atlanta, because I had a stalker for a long time that was unrelated to the internet, somebody that I met when I was in high school who continued to stalk me for years and years and years after, I never used Foursquare and I didn't like tag stuff like that. I just, I didn't do it because that person reached out multiple times to me and found phone numbers that he shouldn't have had access to, things that were not published and where I was like, not doing it. But I will say when I registered my filmgirl.nyc domain name, part of the whole thing was that you couldn't use private registration. Mm. And at first I was going to use my home address. And then I thought better of it. I thought, you know what? Actually, nope, I'm going to use my work address. There you go. So so I I I was like, you know, just just in case. I'm not I'm not putting any of that stuff out there, you know? It, yeah. It's it's weird. Yeah, well, that but leads yes. to another part of our conversation, but I was going to mention um, the 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 single purpose Twitter accounts. Yes, I think there should be some kind of uh, like if you have a Twitter account that only ever contacts one person and you say a certain number of keywords, your your account should just be locked down. Agreed. Or if like the first like if the first you know words you're using are you know, harassment or, you know, there, there's certain words. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to use the F word or the C word or whatever on Twitter, but like if that's the very first thing you're tweeting and it's directed at people, like there should be a way that people can just kind of program the, the Twitter can programmatically be like, yeah, you know what? This is, this is a single purpose account just for harassment. Can you mark on Twitter? Can you mark an account as offensive? Yes. You can the, now report it okay. as, yeah, that, when that you, helps. You, you have to file a report and go through a whole thing, but yeah. And that's what, you know, when, um, I don't do it every instance, but it's the same person who creates these single purpose accounts and he'll get angry certain days and just create like 10 of them in a row. Yeah. And, and, uh, that's always fun. And so, you know, then I just spend a little while going through literally reporting all of them and usually they get blocked fairly quickly. But what was troublesome was in the beginning, actually Twitter would not block some of the accounts. And this was when he was even taking photos of me and, 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 you know, directing them to other people and just, it was really obnoxious stuff. And it was stuff that really was, was harassment in the purest form. And Twitter's first response was to be like, no, this isn't harassment. And it wasn't until I got an actual Twitter employee involved right? that it was marked as harassment and that the issue started getting dealt with. And that really bothers me. That, that it, took, it helps to be connected, but yeah, it does, but I the common man be. out. Well, the thing is, is that I purposefully did not want to go through any of my contacts at first. I wanted to see what's it really like for the regular person. And I found out, unfortunately, for the regular person, you don't have a lot of recourse. Yeah. Yeah, I found the same thing on Facebook. It wasn't until an actual Facebook employee saw my complaints and contacted me personally that anything was done. Um, but John August, the guy who wrote uh, the screenplay for Big Fish and Frankenweenie. Yes. And uh, Go. Yeah, yeah. He uh he somebody keeps creating accounts claiming to be the original John August and then swearing at him, why would you have a fake account? And over and over and they follow everyone on his following list. So I am yeah. constantly followed by John August knockoffs. And it's not horribly crude, it's just annoying. That's where you know, I would assume he's verified. I actually don't know if he's I would not assume, but i mean i would assume so because if he's not then he should be and you would think that, that would maybe yeah but that's that's frustrating 
Yeah, That's there, really there's annoying. like the original John John August, the original John August one, the real original John August, and he's just John August, so I think he wins. But famous original Rays, famous Rays, original Rays, original famous Rays. <laughs> the real original, yes. <laughs> exactly. So oh, you you mentioned in the pre-show, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip around here, but yes, I there's an app for iOS called Authy. It's yes. actually a web service, I think. It is. It's and a you're web using, service. you're using it on your Mac with a Chrome extension. I am. I am. So Authy is a two-factor authentication app, and it basically works as a front-end for Google's two-factor authentication server. So if you have apps, any service that's compatible with the Google two-factor you know, generator will work with Authy. Um, and then it also has some other things that work too. What I like about it is that if you want, you don't have to have it working this way, but if you want, it can actually make backups of all of your um tokens and store them safely and securely in the cloud so that you can have all of your two-factor things on multiple devices. So I have it on my iPhone, my iPad, my Mac, and I don't have to keep track of the little QR code to scan into a device each time I get a new device. I can just log into Authy and have access to it. That would be awesome. Um, what's cool, though, is that they have um, a Chrome extension, and the Chrome extension basically works as an app. It works both in Safari and it works in Chrome, and basically it lets you generate a two-factor code so that you don't have to grab your iPad or your iPhone and open up Authy to get your two-factor code. You, it can actually be generated directly from this Chrome extension, which is really useful if you're logging into something like Google Services or or anything else that has two-factor, and you're like, okay, where's my device that has my code on it? Right. Uh, which, you know, it happens to me, because half the time I'm, I'm entering stuff in on a web browser. So it, it's really useful. Um, I, do, I will have to say I also love on their, their web app, or their mobile apps, and iOS 8, they have a widget, and the widget actually shows you, will generate your... Um, uh, code for your various services. So if you are in need of something, you don't want to use the Chrome extension, you can actually just pull out your phone, pull down notification, pull, pull down the today screen, look in the um, notification center uh, widget and voila. Nice. Yeah. I would be interested in that. I yeah, like no, I love, I do too. I love Authy. They actually, they were working on a Bluetooth app for, um, the Mac as well, and they were having some issues with Apple's Bluetooth stack to really get it working. So the fact that they have um, the Authy app for PCs, and it's it, like I said, it's a Chrome app, is is really good. We'll put it in the show notes. But I I love Authy. Um, it works in Ubuntu as well and on Windows. And um, I don't know, I I enjoy it because to me the only thing that could make uh, and I've I've told the One Password guys this it's like the only thing that could make One Password any better for me would be if they would. Um, whatchamacallit, like actually integrate in two-factor authentication like as a generator or something. I, my most popular posts on Facebook every year uh, among my you know, select group of Facebook friends are uh, related to the fact that I don't know anything about sports. <laughs> and, uh, and I posted that I was at the grocery store and the checkout clerk saw my 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 wife is out of town for the week on like a de- deployment for the ASPCA, and uh, so I stock up on all the things that I'm not supposed to eat. Right. And so I get to the checkout, and he looks at me and he says, "Stocking up for the big game." And I honestly didn't. I said, "What game?" <laughs> and the conversation just ended. I checked out in uh. silence. 
um, except for paper or plastic. To which I always reply, paper only. And then they always come back and say, do you want your such and such wrapped in plastic? And I say, did I say paper only? But anyway, uh, <laughs> apparently it's the Super Bowl. Yes, it's the Super Bowl, which, um, and there's this whole deflate gate thing going on. That our, I've actually heard about. Yeah, our audience doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of ridiculous, the whole deflate gate thing, but... As do I. I do appreciate that Hulu is broadcasting a special that is only the ads. Yes. Which is... I find the ads interesting. It's... I love the ads. It's the uh, the pinnacle of the ad season, and I used to work in advertising, and I, I do appreciate seeing the blunders and successes of various ad companies. Yes. The only thing that's annoying to me at this point, and it's really been a trend for about three or four years now, but it's really been the last two years especially, is companies debuting their Super Bowl ads before the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or, or previewing, or even previewing. if not in their entirety. The preview, honestly, is worse. I don't want to see a snippet. I don't want to see 15 seconds of a 30-second spot. Like, don't do that. But seeing the full thing, it's like part of what makes the Super Bowl great for people like me and, and like you who don't really watch football or sports are the ads. And I don't know. It kind of takes away from it when I can already see all the spots that are going to make me go, oh, you know. Yeah. I had a guest on Systematic who talked about the way they watch sports in Australia because they've been trained by cricket matches, which can last five days. So sports watching is more of a sit at the bar, have a drink, and when you hear the crowd roar, then you pay attention. <laughs> That's kind of how I've always done it. Yeah, no, basically. And then, I mean, you know, in New York um, or, or wherever I'm living, you know, if like a local team or a nearby lo local team, like in this case, it's the Patriots again, is playing. It's like, okay, who do you root for? And, um, I don't know. I'm always, it's always weird for me because I enjoy Tom Brady, but at the same time I'm mad at him because of what he did to Bridget Monaghan. So I don't really know. So I guess I'm rooting for the Seahawks because Seattle, because I'm still angry with Tom Brady over, you know, what he did to someone, you know, seven or eight years ago. But, um, but he is still handsome. I don't know. This, this is how girls pick sporting things I think, basically I, I think that's true of everybody physical attractiveness is a major reason for a lot of choices and especially in viewing options without a doubt without a doubt I mean and in politics too you know it's you vote for the more attractive candidate yes in fact I, I wouldn't still be watching Grimm if it wasn't for Juliet because <laughs> I love her and I mean Grimm got really good don't get me wrong I really enjoy Grimm and same with uh Arrow yes um What's I forgot her name. She was my biggest crush for a long time. The blonde uh, IT person. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And when they do the retrospect, like they show where she came from, and she's this like goth girl in high school, and it's even better for me. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the same way. I I don't necessarily choose football teams based on anything other than what people tell me. But actually, I've never chosen a football team. I guess I, I, if, if I was working in an office environment and everyone was kind of picking sides, I used to work in an office on the border of Wisconsin and Minnesota. And there was at some point a huge rivalry between the Packers and the Vikings, which are really the only two football teams I can name. And you would show up to work wearing colors and it became a gang turf war kind of thing. Oh, I like bet. Violent. And I, I would, well, if well, I had Packers to. Well, Packers and, and Vikings fans are hardcore. I guess. 
if I had to though, I'd be I'd be a Vikings fan. But Absolutely. I knew I think Brett Favre was with the Vikings. No, he wasn't yet. I think he was a Packer at that point. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know. But the the point is the ads are fun. Uh, yeah, the fun. Super Bowl is to me overrated, but I appreciate the fact that it's a national sport. You know, it's like it's the World Cup on a micro scale. It is, and and it's our it's our national sport. Damn it, there's nothing more American really than football. Isn't baseball supposed to be our national sport? It is, but it hasn't been uh, since before the strike. That's because baseball is boring. And the strike. Oh, oh, I'm gonna piss off Liz Burl now. Sorry, Liz. Baseball is boring. Yeah. And the strike. I have to deal with that. Sorry, Liz. I remember the strike. That made a lot of people better than it should have. I was like 11 years old, and I was devastated. Really? Yeah, because I was a big baseball fan. I was devastated. And, and, and honestly, it was one of those things where I think that I could have maybe become like a sports fan if that hadn't happened, like a more general sports fan. But I was just like so done. I was mm. like, screw these rich assholes. Yeah. See, I remember the first teacher strike I saw. And, and uh, my mom was a sub and she, uh, she would, what do you call it, when you, a scab, she I guess. She a scab. She would break, she would break the ranks. Right. And, and I felt for her in having to make that decision. I was very young, and my parents are quite conservative and not necessarily union fans. But as I learned both sides of that story and began to really sympathize with the plight of a teacher's union. Absolutely. But still had to hear, you know, the, the opposing point of view from like more budget perspectives from my parents. It, it was a real eye-opener for me. But then you take things like... And uh, what, what's the national baseball? NBA's MLB. basketball. MLB. Yeah, the MLB, yeah. If Major you, League if Baseball. You take these people who are way overpaid to begin with and then give them the ability to shut down the entire franchise. And shut down all the jobs, the people yeah, who work exactly. the crew lines. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It was, it was the players' union. It'd be one thing if it was people in... Other unions. If it was the, the the people who swept the the stands after all the obnoxious fans left. Exactly, exactly. It was the grounds crew, but the fact that it was the players' union and it was over and it was really just you know I mean and then they they made it worse. They were like going golfing and they were like, you know, they were like almost you know really like giving the finger to the fans when yeah. all this was happening. You know, the players really didn't do themselves any favors. I think it basically. I mean, it helped the rise of the NBA and the NFL. And, I mean, the NBA has had lockouts, too. And, and, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, the NFL, even before the strike, was already on its way of really becoming international pastime. But since then, I think it's really been solidified. I mean, the Super Bowl is one of the most watched events, period. And, uh, yeah, you know, it is the World Cup on a micro scale, but it's a huge event. I love the ads. Um, I always love the Budweiser puppy ads and the, the puppy uh, – this puppy year's bowl? ad. Well, they had the puppy bowl on, on um, Animal Planet, which is amazing. And I actually got to go to a taping of it in October. I actually have puppy bowls almost weekly. That's awesome. I'm jealous. I don't really. Uh, I, don't, you, I, I don't deal with puppies. I don't like puppies. Um, I don't like how they jump, but uh, I don't like how they, they squeal all night and pee and poop everywhere. That's why I got yeah. into rescue because you can. it's like being able to adopt a 20-year-old child. It's amazing. No, that sounds good. No, but uh, YouTube is doing a YouTube uh, halftime show with YouTubers, which I think is going to crash and burn because 
I think that most YouTubers are probably in the demographic that they'll actually want to listen to Katy Perry during the halftime show. I hope Taylor Swift starts Instagramming stuff during the halftime show so that when this goes up, the Super Bowl will already be over and all of her predictions will be for naught. But that would be amazing to me if Taylor Swift does something during the halftime show that just eclipses whatever Katy Perry is doing because <laughs> that would just make their 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 feud that much better. And I'm so Team Swift, it's not even funny. And, and I like Katy Perry fine, but I'm so Team Swift, it's not even funny. Team Swift? Is this like a vampire werewolf thing now? Well, I'm a Swifty for sure. I mean, but Swifty. you know, if I'm team... I'm, I'm Team Taylor over Team Katie. I mean, come on. Okay, this brings up two two topics for me that are not Super Bowl related. Okay. Um, first, did you see Camp Dakota? Yes, that was great. Speaking of YouTube personalities, yes, like the these three are now like bona fide stars. With, yeah, right bona fide within star. the comedy community, at least they're known people. Like they came from YouTube. Things like uh, like Drunk Drunk Kitchen. Is that what it was? Yes. Uh, like. They came from self-made backgrounds and ultimately ended up writing a movie that was, you know, if nothing else, heartwarming and and heartfelt. And I very much enjoyed it. No, I love Grace and uh, and and um, Hannah. I mean, they're great. I mean, no, great Grace Helbig is, is, is amazing. Yes. OK. And then the other thing is. I tweeted, um, don't apologize to me, apologize to the mop bucket. And nobody got it, but it was because Justin Bieber came out with a an apology video. Yes, that was, in my opinion, I I don't even know what to say. I hate that kid so me too much. Me too. Even even a an apology, I can't help but scoff at. And I am eternally upset with uh, with that elf guy from the Lord of the Rings for not hitting him. When he had the chance, like he I'm, swung and he missed. And I feel like that is a bigger, that's worse than doing a bad movie. No, I'm kind of with you, but you know who I do love? The one thing, the one, the only good thing about uh, Justin Bieber at all is that Kate McKinnon, who is rumored to be in the upcoming Ghostbusters film, which is amazing. Her impression of Bieber on Saturday Night Live is maybe, Oh yeah, I did see that. She she does it like a lot. Like it's does maybe, she? Because I saw one where they're doing a big musical number and they yes. had yeah. She's so good. I'm putting in a link in our show notes. Uh, Up rocks managed to and I gotta give them credit for this. Way to go, Up rocks. They did a um an entire history of her uh, yes. Bieber impression. But she did like they basically spoofed. They did like a SNL short where they spoofed the, the Bieber ads for Calvin Klein. <laughs> and you have to watch them, Brett, because she just she gets the face just so oh, dead on. Well, the first time I saw this, I had to look twice to make sure I wasn't actually seeing Saturday Night Live have like cameos by Bieber. It was so good. I mean, just the whole thing. She's fantastic. She's my favorite SNL right now anyway. And it's just it's so good. There are actually some good SNLers right now. There are. She's my favorite. She's totally the... To me, she's like totally their V. She's their Amy Poehler of like the current like generation. Right. Yeah, and you know there are some major like talk show stars that have come out of. Some of them are not great, but uh, but Fallon, 
I, I think he found his calling through SNL. Oh, yeah, without a doubt he did. But I mean, and he is like, I love Fallon so much. And he's like the closest thing I think we've had. We've had this conversation. Like, he does feel like Johnny to me in a lot of ways because he's so genuinely excited mm-hmm. about everything. And he's a great talk show host. He's just, he's awesome. Fallon is fantastic. Like, uh, there was a point where I thought that Conan O'Brien's pre-show, like, you know, when they come out with their hands in their pockets and stuff and tell jokes. Yes, the monologue. It was, yes, thank you. It was, uh, it was Conan was the only one that I ever enjoyed watching, but Jimmy Fallon's are actually, they're entertaining. They don't make me wince. No. And, and what's, what makes Fallon great is that he doesn't have the monologue skills of say like a Letterman or Conan, like he maybe not, isn't as sharp, but what makes him so good is that the stunts he'll do with guests and the interviews are always so much fun. Like, you know, playing Goldeneye with Pierce Brosnan. (laughs) I mean, he'll do things like that, you know, and, and to me, <laughs> did, you see the, did you see the one with the country music guy from The Voice? Yes. Uh, yes, 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 yes. That um, was hilarious with the way the roots would just go like hillbilly on him. Yes. And, 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 and how, how Gwen was like amazing at, yeah. at their, at their sing off stuff, like doing pop songs, like Gwen Stefani singing Call Me Maybe was one of the greatest things ever. And then, of course, his history of hip hop yes. series that he does with, with Timberlake. Those are legendary. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and, and his holiday um, mashup things that he does with Rashida Jones every year where they yeah. sing the pop songs, you know, to, you know, um, new lyrics, you know, about, about the holidays. Like, he's, he's just, he's fun. Yes, I agree. I agree. I, I, I won't talk about the other ones that I don't like as much. But I will say, again, Colbert's going to change the face of this whole yes. genre. Completely. He's going to be amazing. I have he such is. high expectations. He'll probably so- <laughs> probably can't live up to my amazing expectations. But No, I think he will be able to. And then what's amazing to me is you know Steve Carell is just going to be on there all the time. <laughs> yes. Which yes. will just be fantastic. Because anytime I can see Steve Carell on a, a show, I mean, just them riffing off of one another is just going to be great. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, li- I like where Late Night is, has kind of evolved, too. Yeah, there and was a real dry spell post-Conan. Post all the Conan drama. And the thing is, is that, I, you know, I mean, it, the whole Conan thing sucked because I feel bad for Leno. He didn't want to leave when they announced him leaving the first time. You know, they announced that Conan was taking over in five years and he wasn't really ready to to let it go and then it happened and and conan just wasn't good enough for that mainstream audience and conan just isn't the mainstream guy and that's fine you know conan's amazing but he just he doesn't have he's not a fallon you know he doesn't have that kind of likability yeah. you know i mean you and i love him and he's a really smart guy and he has mostly really because jokes. he doesn't have that kind of likability but you're right he's not a He's right. not an every night mainstream make, no. make people happy across generations kind of guy. And he's not the sort of guy who genuinely like gets excited like a little kid. The part of what I think makes makes um Jimmy so good is that he genuinely seems like he's having the time of his life. Yes. I agree. And and even if you like the 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 Conan Leno or not Leno, the Conan Letterman sensibility more, there's something really just infectious about watching somebody have the time of their life on TV with famous people. So now to bring all of this together. Grizzle. Yes. <laughs> we've got we've got privacy, we've got TV, and it all comes down to the current season of Parks and Rec where they are battling a company called Grizzle, which is spelled G O O G L E, and Grizzle starts data mining 
they provide, they control the internet, they control mobile devices, they control all conversation, and they start data mining it, and they use drones to drop off, I guess it's spelled Google Amazon, yeah. because they use drones to drop off gift packages individually created for everybody in town based on their private conversations. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a Google Amazon Facebook mashup is what yes. it is. Yes. And, uh, oh, it's so perfect. A, we just have to talk about the season of Parks and Rec. It's the final season. They've more, they've gone three years into the future. And, and I've heard the main reason they wanted to do that was that Amy Poehler did not want to deal with babies on the set. <laughs> I have noticed there are no, you never see the triplets. That well, that's the great to thing too. They never show the toddlers. They like, they, they, they make references to them occasionally, but you never see them. And she just did not want to deal with babies on the set. I can so totally they, understand that. I can too. And I actually love that. I love the <laughs> fact that like they have three children and you never see the kids. Yep. No, I just put it, the kids down. They were crazy. They were nuts. <laughs> oh, it's like, it's like when you tell the triplets, it's just like they're just, it's, it's like Tino on my so-called life. Like they're just, you always hear about this mythical character and you're like, who the hell is Tino? Where is Tino? Uh, and, you know, where are the triplets? Um, no, but you know, so they invited the company to at the end of last season to come to Pawnee, to give them free Wi-Fi, and to have like their Midwest headquarters there. And now everybody has like all these phones and these gadgets, and they've got all, all this free stuff. And yeah, they're data mining them, and it's hilarious because of course the town predictably freaks out. Um, and and it's, predictably, it's, they're uh, and and the character they're they're like CEO guy, the yes. young kid who skates away from every meeting, uh, like. They have a they have a slogan very similar to the the don't uh, be evil exactly and they I don't, they play him off as a guy who really thinks it's great that yes. they're able to provide the services they are with this information and I feel like there are a lot of people working in these companies that are collecting this data that feel like they're providing valid reasons oh they do to they do, do. It. Because I talk to them all the time, and they're like, isn't it great how we have all this data? And I'm like, it, well, it it's is. It's not great it's... that you have the data. I was like, it's awesome. You can, you can, you know, shape these things. It's creepy. There's like a line where we're, there's the line where it goes from being really convenient to really creepy. And it's a really small line. It's a really thin line. Like, you can almost not even see it. But there's a place, like, Google Now does that to me. Google, Google Now crosses the creepy line where people are like, oh, it's really convenient. It can tell me when my, you know, updates of my flight conditions because it scans my emails. And so when I log into my web browser, it'll tell me, oh, your flight is, is taking off. You can check into your flight because it takes off in however many hours. And like, you know what? I'm actually not okay with that. Yeah, me or it'll take Or it'll take you X amount of time to get to this location because your meeting is coming up here. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not okay with that. Don't forget um, it. It's your, it's your wife's birthday tomorrow. And you promised to get her this present. Ugh. So let's just go ahead and, and, and ship it for you already because we're just going to anticipate it. <laughs> We've gone ahead and linked this to the credit card that you used once on that one adult site. Right. Yeah. We noticed that you're talking to this person a lot. Let's go ahead and put all that communications front and center. It's like, yes. great. Now my boss knows I'm interviewing with someone else. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, I do. It, 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 but, but the way that they handle it is just so perfect. And it's, it's, it's satire, but it's not. Right. And uh, that's what the cool thing is, I think, about going only three years into the future, is that they can make these kind of crazy predictions that aren't really that crazy. And I like that they that Ron, the stout libertarian, yes. was initially refused to join the fight against Grizzle 
on the basis that private uh, companies can make their own decisions. And we agreed it's, you know, it's in the contract. We give up our rights to this privacy. But then they discover he finds out the gift basket shows up for his kid. Yes. And it knows things that he had gone to great lengths never to say in a place that could be found. And he shows up at Leslie's door with um, one of the drones full of uh, shotgun holes because <laughs> he had immediately, as upon seeing the gift, had gone outside and shot the drone down and joined their side. Because that is, you know, you can say, you, you can say all kinds of things to justify that collection of data. But ultimately, there is a line where it's not only creepy, it's, it's a threat. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, and it, it's like uh, people only care to a certain extent when it happens to them. And my parents and well, I see, I think I project this, but I feel like everyone I talk to about this considers me paranoid. People that aren't intimately involved in the industry. I, and I always feel like I'm talking like a paranoid tinfoil hat guy. But I, I, I'm thankful that this is out there because it's, it's a, a point of conversation that I may not have so eloquently been able to state. Yes. Yeah. So, I saw the interview. What you know you what? Think? My wife is still mad at me because I rented it on iTunes. <laughs> right. We could have just waited a month and it would have been on Netflix for free. I, I, this was last night. It was on Netflix for free. I was, I, she was so mad. You spent you, $4. It's on YouTube and Netflix for free. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's one of those funny things because, uh, yeah, we're all like, this, really? North Korea? This? This yeah. is what you're mad about? Huh. Exactly. I'm more mad that I had to watch it. Yeah. I mean, at the time when, when all the, the drama was happening, I was like excited to see it. Moi, our friend Moises, our producer Moises, really liked it and was a fan and, and, um, you know, when I was all like my go America kind of mood, like I could be like, you know, they can hate us for a lot of things. You're not going to take away our crappy or our, our kind of crappy comedies. But now the whole thing is like fizzled off and died on the vine and nobody seems to even really care about anything anymore. I'm kind of like, huh. It was too hyped. It like, was. It, it would have. It, it could have flown as a stupid comedy. It would have. I think without the underlying pressures of like, this is becoming <laughs> international. You know, a, this is this is becoming, um, you know, a, a free speech debate. Like, if it had just come out when it was supposed to, it would have been a movie that I wouldn't have wanted to see in the theater necessarily, but I would have right. watched on Netflix or iTunes, and I would have laughed, and I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. But when it becomes, like, a political statement, I'm like, huh. You watch it with a whole different point of view at that point. You do, because you, and you expect it to be a lot better. And when it's not, you're like, huh. You expect it to be, uh, I don't know, factual. Like, I feel like they took a, a huge amount of liberties, which, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't care if it weren't this such uh, an object of scrutiny now. But, yeah. So, my review would be, meh. I mean, it's on, it's on Netflix for free now. So, yeah. don't, don't, don't spend your money on it. Yeah. The, yeah. Learn from my mistakes. Don't upset your significant other <laughs> with your, uh, unending iTunes budget that has no cap despite the fact that your overall budget does. <sighs> I bought apps today. Every once in a while I feel the need to explore new apps because I, I can't review things that I've already reviewed. 
people people come to me to find out if things are cool and if i don't know you know i fail so i'm obligated to some extent and that's where part of uh the subscriptions that people give me on my site go to paypal and i use paypal to buy apps so i can tell them about them so it's you know it's a good feed the feed the machine kind of thing but yeah i i i think i think itunes does a poor job of uh helping you keep within a budget because they send you the receipt for like five things three days later yeah totally totally or if you're like me and like you end up in a in a candy crush saga um k-hole and uh you've spent like you keep spending 99 cents to refill your lives or whatever you get like seven of those things at once and you're like i don't want to know that i just spent 15 dollars. if i get to a point where i feel the need to spend money to continue a game I either quit playing or I buy the biggest freaking package they have so I don't have to worry about it again. Yeah, that's basically what I do. I, I'm like, I'm just going to spend $10 and now yeah. I'm going to be good for like two days. I'll be fine. Especially on free games. If I'm enjoying totally. it so much that, that I, I'm willing to spend money, I might as well just pay for the game. Even if it's like, you know, I, I guess $12 is kind of my max on an in-app purchase. Yeah. But, but I'll spend the $12 for something that's awesome. Oh no! So I will, so will I. And if I'm getting something out of it, if it's fun, it's like, hey, you know, it's not it's not crack. I mean, it is, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. No, it's better for you than crack. Slightly, yeah. Yeah. So it's what? Uh, for what, your teeth. It, it it's significantly better for your teeth. So what? Uh, what apps um, have you tried lately? Oh man, I I would actually have to load up my my app store purchase, but oh yeah, I I honestly got so many at once. Half free, half paid that I couldn't even tell you what's new because I've been buried in them. But uh, have you ever seen One Writer for iOS? I have, and I don't know if I have that one or not. It's um, such, it's, if you take notes, especially if you use NVAlt with Dropbox. Oh, yes, I have One Writer. Yes. It's, it's good. so good. Yes, I, I enjoy that one. I, I had like tried one. it long ago, but, but I got it again, and that was, that's my like, it's the one I remember because I was so impressed with it this time around. But I, I think on my Mac, I got, I got, an, I bought an app outside of the App Store called, oh man, I shouldn't have started a sentence I couldn't finish. Camera bag, camera bag two. Oh, okay, okay. And there are a lot of photo filter apps out there, but on my Mac, I like to have a little more fine control, and I don't need something as huge as Aperture or Lightroom. For, you know, photos I just want to post to a social service. And camera bag is actually really good. No, it is really good. And what I like about it is uh, it started out as a, um iPhone app. Yeah. Or at least that's yeah, how and I, I had it. it. I had it yeah, on iPhone. But on iPhone, I don't know. I've been really happy with the built-in filters in, Same. in most apps now. So, Same. And I haven't needed that in a long time, but no, but but it's really good. It is a good app for uh, it, it's in the Mac App Store, but it's also outside the App Store. Oh, is it in the Mac App Store? It is. Because I bought it. Well, I guess because I used my PayPal account. So, <sighs> I have a lot of money in PayPal right now. Like a lot of money. One year, I spent ten thousand dollars on PayPal, and they like upped me to some special <laughs> customer service they level. Do. And they contact you personally about stuff. Yes, and... yes, yeah. Which was, and that that was a weird year. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money to have spent using PayPal. It makes you wonder what the average 
uh, like spending per PayPal account is because I was like I was funneling at one point most of my income from app sales outside of the app store and stuff through PayPal. So basically, I had thousands of dollars going in and out a month, and they eventually took a, a personal interest in me and started treating me like a VIP, which I don't know. I, it's kind of nice. It is kind of nice. It is. VIP is always nice, right? Yeah. Did you see Elon Musk on The Simpsons? Yes. What am I talking about? <laughs> who, who are you talking to? No, that was that was really fantastic. It it really was. That was actually him, right? It was. It was it his was. voice. It was his voice yeah. and his whole thing. And it was. I mean, you, you kind of. It was like a perfect like melding of, of geek culture as a moment that it, Elon Musk was on The Simpsons. The PowerPoint. The presentation when Burns <laughs> tries to trigger the trapdoor to get rid of Musk, he accidentally starts a PowerPoint that that basically explains <laughs> that we're not going to make any money on this, but we're going to help make money and and a future in general, in so many words. And it was it was great, uh, and that's part of what I love Musk is he's not you know he's he has his money, he's good. oh yeah he has so much money and and he doesn't. His business decisions are not – they're very liberal politically. They are. Well, what he's doing at this point, he's like, you know what? I've got a bajillion dollars. As long as I've got my mansion and my second divorce from the same woman and <laughs> my other stuff, I'm perfectly satisfied to just take all this money and all this investment and put it in crazy-ass moonshots so that we can transfer we, – we can go from L.A. – to San Francisco in 45 minutes. Well, and things like open sourcing, something that gave you a competitive edge. Yes. Like like all your electric car innovations. And then open sourcing that and letting your competition use it because that is that is good for Because it's good for everybody. everybody. And also, it's one of those things I think it also points out that for a lot of people, you know, they see, oh, we shouldn't open source stuff because the repair, the, you know, it'll take away our, our advantage. But as Apple, I think it's been a great example of this has shown in other companies too. It's like you can open source stuff, but still have your own, you know, private kind of repos to do your UI layer and some of your interaction stuff that you do on your own. So just having access to the source, it makes it better for everybody to be able to build their backend infrastructures, but it's still responsible for everybody else is still going to be responsible for making it work well. Right. Well, and in this case, in the electric car case, it's, it's, it's something he views as a necessary step in yes. automotive transport. Without and a doubt. It is a competitive, it's a, it was a huge competitive, competitive advantage because Theirs were the only ones that worked, but no one could afford them. So he made it possible for others to make something affordable, basically flipping off the patent system in the process. Yeah. No, yeah. He's, he's, he's interesting. He's aspy as hell, but he's so interesting. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, he's, it goes like um, Tesla, Nikolai Tesla to Elon Musk to Steve Jobs. That Those are my like top three people. I admire what they did in both their lives for humanity and in business. So you would you wouldn't put Bill Gates in there because I would put Bill Gates in there. I would put Bill Gates right after Steve Jobs. I do think he and especially his post Microsoft work. Yeah, I think I would actually put him above Steve Jobs just because his post Microsoft work has been so incredible. But I don't see for me Steve Jobs is on the list because of the way he thinks, not yeah, so much true. the way that he acted all the time. 
I can agree with that. I can agree with that. And and if, from that perspective, I would probably put Jobs ahead too. And then, but, but around my my top five of those guys, I would I would put Branson in there. Yeah, yeah. Branson's an interesting. I don't know if I look up to Branson. I I could I say really I admire him, but I admire him, exactly. and I'm jealous of him. He's a super nice guy. I haven't actually interviewed him, and he's super nice and down to earth. Yeah, and... I admire his energy and his drive, and even some of his innovation. But yeah. I mean, and he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a cool dude. I also, I mean, at the top of my list, like Nikolai Tesla, he, he was broke. He, yeah. he never made money. And so it's not business decisions that, that make it onto my list. It's, it's, right. uh, it's that mad scientist kind of like able to see the future before it's profitable kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think we're, we're at an hour, and we have a couple more topics on our list that maybe we move to next week. I think that sounds like a good idea. Will the will this uh, certain Microsoft product still be relevant in a week? It will. It will. And it's funny, though, you talked about it. We were going to talk about HoloLens. It was announced a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to – yeah, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about HoloLens, which is basically the future, kind of what you're talking about. It's uh, maybe the first time in decades <laughs> that we've seen Microsoft actually maybe see the future before the rest of us. Yes. All right, that'll be a great conversation. I will. I'll move that into future. <laughs> That's it's like a double entendre. Um, it is. Wow, wow. So anyway, that was a that was a fun episode. I don't know if that it was, was groundbreaking. Stuff. I don't think it had to be. I think it's just a, it's Brett and Christina doing our thing. Doing our thing, and I I actually stayed sober the whole time. I have a, a coffee mug filled with a mixture of Tonks and sixty. 60% cask strength uh, uh, scotch, and it's still full. So consider this a, a win for the 12 steps. Woohoo! This episode of Overtired is brought to you by and dedicated to the writers and editors who made the unofficial Apple weblog great for so many years and made literally this exact show possible. If you have a job to give these folks, hire them. If you know somebody who can, pass their name along make the internet a better place to read by doing so thanks all right well i have a lot of links together but uh uh thanks for thanks for showing up today on a sunday uh, thank you for uh for having me and um let's uh let's get some sleep and uh, enjoy some football ads and uh you know yay super bowl Woohoo! go right. team get some sleep <laughs> bye brett this system is going down low. <laughs>